Father, thank you for the privilege of just being able to just exist in this room for the last little while. Just to be able to hear and to sing and to enjoy the majesty and the glory of your name. And we pray that you would help us to see that it is your majesty and your glory that is victorious over death. And it is your majesty and your glory and your voice, as the psalmist says, that is higher and more powerful than the flooding waters. And it is your majesty and your glory that most helps our heart when we are exhausted and stressed and spent. And it is your majesty and it is your glory that our hearts actually long for and we run and look everywhere else for it. But we've just been reminded as we have listened and as we have sung that the place to find what we want most is you. So, surely your presence has been in this place. But we are not foolish enough to think that when your glory is great that the enemy's hate is near. So we ask that you would protect our hearts and our minds from laziness, from fear, from worry, from apathy, from complacency. Lord, help us, protect us, even as we look into the Scriptures, to not glorify our problems over You. Because that's what the enemy loves for us to do. So we bring our junk, we bring our stuff, our hurt, our stress, our anxiety, our pain, our confusion, we bring it to you. And we beg and plead, would you be Lord over it? You are, but we don't always feel it. So, so we need to feel it today that your majesty and glory are over all. Give us ears to hear. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, think about you. Think about how you do life. The way you do life on a, on a regular basis, okay? Do you spend money to save time or do you spend time to make money? All right, work through the math a little bit. You know, do you spend money to save time, or do you spend time to save money? Now, if you want to be happy, you might have to start spending a little more money. You might have to start ordering a little more pizza delivery. At least that's what's according to a study that was presented in the New York Times recently. A study came out nine weeks ago from the National Academy of Sciences, and it says that if you'll spend money to save time, you'll reduce stress in your life, 
and you'll increase a little bit of happiness in your life. Ashley Willens is an assistant professor at the Harvard Business School, and she was the lead author of the study. This is what she says. People who spent money to buy themselves time, such as by outsourcing disliked tasks, reported greater overall life satisfaction. Now, this study gauged more than 5,000 people in the United States and Canada in Denmark and in the Netherlands. And what they looked at were things like takeout food, getting takeout. They looked at things like taking a cab from time to time. I know, it took a second. You just read it, didn't you? I'm going to love it. Taking a cab from time to time, or might say Uber or Lyft these days. They also looked into what it would be to, to hire household help or even to hire someone to run errands for you. Now, the people in this study that did things like that measured a little higher on the happy scale. There was some happiness that increased as they outsourced some of their tasks, so to speak. But not everybody was dialed into that. There were 800 Dutch millionaires as part of this survey. That's just a great phrase, right? 800 Dutch millionaires. Them guys are selling some serious Gouda cheese over there if they're already becoming millionaires. So, so we have these Dutch millionaires... And they, in this survey, only slightly were a majority of them prone to spend money to save time. So it wasn't everybody in the survey moved in this direction. So why did they do that? Well, the study kind of gives a couple of ideas of why many of us might do that. One, we're geared, many of us, to have a work ethic that values busyness, that values being active, doing stuff, doing stuff, doing stuff. And secondly, there's guilt associated with paying somebody to do something that you can do yourself. Professor Willens goes on to say this, we want to seem like we have it all together and we might be therefore resistant to spending money on time-saving purchases even when we can afford it. Well, listen, no matter how hard you may try, no matter what kind of front you may put up, no matter how hard you may work to deny or work against it, no matter how stubborn you may be, at the end of the day, we all know that none of us have it all together. And if you think you do have it all together, then we, we graciously feel sorry for you because that level of arrogance puts you in the category of fools. We don't have it all together. But it's an interesting question. Can money really buy time? Can money buy happiness? Actor Jim Carrey reportedly said this once, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. In other words... Every dream that you may have to be rich or to be famous, the dreams you may have to, to go and see the coolest places in the world, the, the dreams you may have of just having a, a decent job, a decent career, maybe a comfortable retirement, all those things are good, but none of those things can satisfy the deepest desire and the deepest longing of your soul. None of them. So, if money isn't the answer, if more takeout is not the answer, if more time is not the answer, what's the answer? What is it that our, our soul longs for the most? And how can we get it? Well, let's see if we can find out this morning. Psalm 23, verse 6, the very last part. 
David writes, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The deepest longing of your soul is to live forever. That's the deepest longing of your soul. Now, how do I know that? Well, David's son Solomon reigned after him. He was the wisest and richest man who has ever lived. And this is what Solomon said. He has made, God has made, everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. You were born with a desire for eternity. You were born with a desire for eternal life. You were born with a desire to live forever. But everybody doesn't believe that. Some people believe you just live and you die and and that's it. You kind of slip off into into some kind of darkness and you're just kind of unconscious forever. Listen, you can believe that. But in the deepest part of your heart and your mind, the places that you might fight against, the places you might ignore, the places you might push back against, if you believe that, then you are being unfaithful to your own soul. Because your soul longs for life. Your soul longs for joy. Your soul longs for peace. Your soul longs for hope. But you know, even when it comes to hope, some people are a Grinch. A little more Venturan theology for you from Jim Carrey. I don't believe in hope. Hope is a beggar. Hope walks through the fire. Faith leaps over it. My apologies to Lloyd Christmas, but that is either way too deep for me or it makes absolutely no sense. I've read it like 10 times this week. And I mean, I know at least three guys in here who can you know, translate that for me, but, but I didn't have time to ask them before. But, but there's, that just, I don't get it, you know? It's okay, though. I mean, he's an actor. I mean, he's a great guy, but, you know, it's okay that I don't understand it. There is one part, though, that makes a lot of sense. The very first part. I don't believe in hope. Again, you can think that. You, you can reject You can ignore, you can fight against hope. But again, if you do, you are fighting against your own soul. You're fighting against what your soul longs for the most. And besides Solomon and and his truth in the Bible, besides all of the Bible for that matter, the the message of all of the Scripture, how do we know that this is true, that your, your soul longs for hope? Tim Geller gives a helpful picture that I've adjusted a little bit. It goes like this. Imagine there's two ladies that get the same job in a factory. It's the the same exact job. They're in different places in the factory, but, but their workspace is exactly the same. Same temperature, same climate, same resources, and they have the same exact task, and they do that task over and over again all day long. Now, the first lady, when she was interviewed, they told her, hey, you're not going to make much money at this at all. You're really not going to make a whole lot of money in this job. But at the end of 12 months, you'll get a $15,000 bonus. So that's what she was told in her interview. The second lady in her interview was told the exact same thing. 
look, you're not going to make hardly any money at this job. But at the end of 12 months, you're going to get a $15 million bonus. <laughs> so months go by. These ladies end up in the break room at the same time having a snack. And the first lady says, oh, this job it is so boring. It's so aggravating. It's so frustrating. I just hate this job, don't you? And the second lady says, no, it's, it's not that bad. Why? Because she knows she's got $15 million waiting at the end of 12 months. So all of a sudden, this job is not nearly as bad as she thought. See, what she was going to receive defined her attitude. Listen, your soul, according to everything that we see in Scripture, it longs to live forever. Your soul was created with a desire for eternity. Your soul was created with a desire for hope. And listen, right now, you're either living in that hope or you are not living in that hope. Or maybe if we were to ramp it up a little bit and bring in the whole message of the Bible, you are either right now living as a friend of God or living as an enemy of God. The Bible doesn't give us any other options. Some people might say, man, all this stuff just sounds like a little fairy tale. I've shared these words with you before from Stephen Hawking the well-known theoretical physicist, cosmologist, and author. In an interview, he said this once, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. And we know about fairy stories, right? And we know about fantasy stories, right? Peter Pan, Harry Potter, Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Aquaman, Ant-Man, Underdog, uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and on and on we go. We, we, we get it, right? We understand the concept of, of fairy stories and fantasy stories. And there's, there's tons of fun that can be had in those stories. And why are we drawn to stories like that? Well, we're drawn to stories like that because guess what? Life is hard. We love to have some escape. And, and those stories, they, they give us escape. They help us. But, but some of you are not into fantasy stories and fairy stories. Your, your fantasy fiction is a little different. Your, your escape is a little different. It's, it's hunting or it's fishing or it's golfing. It's watching sports. It's restoring furniture or restoring cars. It's, it's shopping or, or watching shopping channels. I mean, we, we all have, you know, avenues of escape. We all have ways that we use to try to get away from things. But here's the thing. No matter what your avenue is, it's always a temporary escape. This was my thing years ago. I used to tell people when I got stressed out, I would drive to the mountains, eat barbecue, and go see a movie. And I was good. I just needed a few hours, and I'm fine. You know, that doesn't work anymore. I need a new thing. I don't know why. I mean, the barbecue always works, but the other is just not working out. But you know what always happens when you get out of the movie? <laughs> All the stuff that you were dealing with before you walked into the theater, yeah, it's still there. <laughs> it, it didn't go away. The escape is nice, and it's good, and it's helpful. But all of our earthly escapes are temporary. We know this, right? 
We tried them this week. We tried all of our escapes. And two hours later, more trouble came. Two days later, more trouble came. And so, so the escapes that we have, they're, they're fine and they're good. They have their place and their purpose. But they are not truth. They're not truth. See, the reality is when we begin to look at what it means to have hope in eternal life in God, that is the only truth that can hold us and help us. Let's see if we can let the man behind Middle Earth help us think through this. J.R.R. Tolkien is the famed author of the adventures that we find in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. In 1947, he published an essay, and the title of the essay was Own Fairy Stories. And this is what he said in the end of his essay. It's not difficult to imagine the peculiar excitement and joy that one would feel if any specially beautiful fairy story were found to be primarily true, its narrative to be actually history. The joy would have exactly the same quality, if not the same degree, as the joy which the turn in a fairy story gives. Such joy has the very taste of primary truth. And then he says this, the Christian joy, the Gloria, is of the same kind, but it is preeminently high and joyous. But this story is supreme, and it is true. He goes on, Art has been verified. God is the Lord of angels and of men and of elves. Legend and history have met and fused. And then he says this, The Christian has still to work with mind as well as body to suffer, hope, and die. But he may now perceive that all his bents and faculties have a purpose which can be redeemed. It's beautiful. See, here's the deal. The fantasy story blockbuster movie will eventually leave the theater. And what will happen? Someone will take the exact same movie and they will reimagine it and recreate it in in some other way or there will be a a sequel or a prequel or whatever. It's just always never-ending. And we go to these things because they're fun. And we read these books because they're fun and and they're this escape. They're not realistic fiction. In his essay, Tolkien says that realistic fiction doesn't scratch our itch. We need the fantasy. That seems to be what scratches our itch to escape. And so we go and we watch these movies and we go back because they're fun. And we like to escape because here's why. The world is evil. And we love to read or, or be in the movie theater and, and see and hear this battle between good and evil where the good guys win. We love that escape. Listen, can I just offer something to you? The best guy and the ultimate hero has already won the greatest battle. No sequel is needed. The original is the best. The original is perfect. The original is eternal. It is complete. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, He knocked on heaven's door. And in a loud voice, He said, it is finished. 
And his knock was so fierce that it shook all of heaven. It shook all of earth and under the earth. It shook all of the universe with the kind of force that no CGI computer and no surround sound can create, duplicate, or even imagine. It is finished. It's not a fantasy. Jesus, once and for all, perfectly paid the payment and the penalty of my sin and your sin in dying in our place on the cross. But he did not stay dead. (laughs) He arose from the grave. And he arose with freedom in his hand. So here's the question for your mind and your heart and your soul. Are you living in that freedom? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Are you following after him? Is he your greatest treasure? If so, then please know this. His death purchased your hope. And His resurrection guaranteed your hope. And with apologies to Mr. Carey, this is a hope you can believe in. Listen, I won't lie. You may not leap over the fire. You may walk through the fire. You may feel the fire. But your hope is safe and secure and real. Why? Because you prayed a sinner's prayer? Nope. Because you joined the church? No. Because you've done some good deeds from time to time? No. Because your grandparents were pillars in the community? No. No, your hope is secure because of Jesus because of His power, His authority, who He is. That's why your hope is secure. So if today you are believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus, then please embrace this reality. Tolkien's right. Legend and history have met and fused. This is the fairy story, the only fairy story. The only fantasy story that is true and real. Jesus has redeemed you. And no power of hell and no scheme of man can ever pluck you from His hand. And He has no rival. Any movie about Jesus, there's no rival. There's no Justice League. It's just Him. He's the Master. He's the King. He's the Hero forever and ever and ever. It's not a fairy tale. It's where legend and history have met. And the truth of Jesus reigns supreme. Happily ever after is not just some words on the last page of the book when it comes to the gospel. Listen again to what David said. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can I scientifically prove to you that heaven exists? No. Can you scientifically prove to me that heaven doesn't exist? No. Therefore, 
the beautiful and amazing and incredible messages about heaven from the Bible at the very least should be considered, right? I mean, let me just graciously say, it is reasonably irrational for you to say that Christianity is fake and phony. Way too many intelligent and humble people have followed Jesus for far too long. At the very least, it should be considered. This is what Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 2, speaking to his disciples. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. What did Dorothy say? There's no place like home. In the middle of her trials and her troubles and her tragedies, way off in the magical land of Oz, what was she thinking of? Home. She's thinking of home. There was something about the front porch at Annie M's when she was in the middle of the stress and the strain of her life. There was something about home that brought her comfort. Jesus is trying to encourage his friends, and he encourages them with the promises of their faith. He encourages them with the promise of home. Jesus said, guys, there is a place for you in my Father's house. In ancient times, when a, a wedding was about to take place, one of the families might build a, a wing on to their house or a large room, you know, somewhere for the new couple to be able to, to live. Now, look, I realize that the illustration of living with your in-laws and the glory of heaven may not match up, you know, in, in the first part of your mind. I get it. But just hang in there with me for a second. See, here's the thing. The promise that I have a mansion somewhere way down the road from Jesus isn't fantastically comforting. But if I look at the actual words of Jesus, the, the notion that there's a wing being built on to the Father's house where I will get to stay and be close to Jesus, that sounds like great news. You see, the, the pearly gates and the golden streets and the angels are not what make heaven heaven. Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. The glory of the only begotten, the risen Savior. David was powerful, he was wealthy, he had anything money could buy. And he also had tons of sin and misery and tragedy and stress and difficulty in his life. But the good shepherd never let him down. The good shepherd never failed him. So long before there was any notion of a magical land called Oz, David with joy and confidence was singing and shouting, there is no place like home. There's no place like the house of the Lord. Some of you, though, do not share David and Dorothy's giddiness. Home is not a, a good word for you. Home is a word that doesn't stir good memories. Maybe home is a word that's not good right now. Your, your home experiences right now are not good. This is what J.C. Ryle said about home. Home is the place where we are loved to the end, never forgotten, and always welcome. That, that is the house of the Lord. That's the basics of heaven. So listen, when your spouse fails you or ignores you, 
When your parents fail you or ignore you. When your kids fail you or ignore you. When home is not what you wish home should be. The voice of the gospel sings and shouts to you. The house of the Lord welcomes you. The house of the Lord is the place you will never be forgotten. And the house of the Lord is where you will be loved to the end and then forever and ever and ever. That's the promise of heaven. Dear Christian, there is no place like home. There's no place like home. Long before there was Philly cheesesteak or Motown Philly, there was a city named Philadelphia. It was way off in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. Jesus had a message that he sent through John to the church at Philadelphia. And this is what the message was. Revelation 3.12. Him that overcometh... I'm reading for the King James because it's just cool. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. The man or the woman or the boy or the girl that continues to lean on and believe in and trust in and rely on and cling to Jesus will overcome this life. That's the promise of the gospel. It's the guarantee of the gospel. They will Go no more out. What does that mean? It means that once you're in the house of the Lord forever, you don't leave. You go no more out. One of the great songs of the Christian faith says what? Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. Look, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a demented death wish. That is a divine delayed hope. Lord, haste the day when I shall no more go out. Lord, haste the day when I will be in your house and be there forever. Charlotte Ransom, as Char, some people called her, was a member of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She died last year in January at the age of 86. She was unmarried her whole life. And for 36 years, John Piper was her pastor. This is what he said about Char. She walked toward relationships, not away from them. She walked into ministry opportunities, not out of them. She brought strength to her single friends and to her happily married friends. She acted against self-pity, not under it. She embraced modest, stylish attractiveness, never out of fashion and never too in. And I love this next description. She turned 60 somewhere along the way and stayed there all her life. Cool. Love that. She risked. Ten times she went to Africa, and the latter trips were at an age when most people have their aging feet up. She aggressively read the Bible and promoted Bible memory. And then he described a picture of, of how she died. This is what he said. 
The second week of January, she found out she had lung cancer. In less than two weeks, she was gone. These sermons are planned months in advance. But boy, do those words strike true to our family today. But look what he says next. The Lord stepped in with astonishing decisiveness and gentleness. Gentle is our shepherd. Gentle even with cancer. He got the call about an hour after she died. Two hours later, he was recording an answer to a question that had come into the, the online ministry that he works with. And this was the question that came in. Where in the Bible can I be more confident of what happens to me or to someone I love when they die? And this was his answer as it began. As I speak, I have a friend who has been in the presence of Jesus three hours and 16 minutes. We should do more math like that. She is not unconscious. She is not in a kind of soul sleeping awaiting the resurrection. Her soul is alive and is with Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about how Jesus prayed for Shar. And how did Jesus pray for Shar? He prayed for Shar the same way he prays for me and the same way he prays for you. This is how he prays. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory. January of last year, that prayer from Jesus was answered for sure. It was answered. So what does Shar have to do with you? Piper helps. If you would turn away from your own glory as the quest of your life, which again, remember, your soul doesn't want your glory. Your glory stinks. Your glory is cheap. It's not worth it. Neither is mine. If you would turn away from your own glory as the quest of your life and set your heart on the glory of Jesus, you will see, you will know that He is true and you will find immeasurable joy in His presence forever. And then He says this, and I know Shar would want me to say, please join me here in the presence of Christ. Join her where? Join her in the house, the Lord's house, the house of the Good Shepherd, in His house forever and ever and ever. There is no place like home.